Amen, and thank you for the music this morning. Again, thank you for being here. And as I stated earlier, I hope you had a good week, and I hope that uh, you feel welcome, and those that are guests, you feel welcome. Those that are regulars, I guess I hope you feel welcome as well. But no, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I thought uh, they started singing How Great Thou Art. Did anybody else feel let down there for a moment? Is anybody with me? I'm this, The verse comes, and then you get ready to hit the chorus, and then they went to a whole different song. I'm like, whoa. I looked at Mindy, and I said, that's not right. You can't not do that. That is like my, well, probably one of my all-time favorite songs. And, uh, but no, thank you so much for the music this morning. And it really, a lot of those songs are going to play right into uh, exactly what we're speaking on this morning. And uh, we are starting a new series this morning on Slave Are You. And some of you may go, what in the world? What kind of title of a sermon series is that? And I'll kind of explain that here to you this morning a little bit. And really how I came to that thought and where that came from and why in the world we're talking about this. And um, basically... I've been praying through and thinking on different sermon series that we've been going through and we just we just came out of the book of Malachi as we talked about stewardship last week and we finished that up and and as I was planning prior to and going through some different thoughts the the next series that we're going to be doing is is talking about the abundant life and when Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. And so I'm going to do a series on the abundant life. But as I was kind of going through the thoughts of abundant life and I was kind of brainstorming and thinking and reading and doing some other things, the thought of, well, how do we have that abundant life kind of was coming to me. And, and through that process of my thinking and reading and doing other things, I was doing some study for Wednesday nights and different services and I was reading a passage of scripture that spoke on being a slave of Christ. And as I was reading that and studying and doing some other things, it basically just kind of jumped out at me. And the only way to have a true abundant life in Christ is to be a slave of Christ, is to have given everything that we can to him. And when we do all of those things, when we say, you know, here we go, God, take everything, not, not I'm going to hold this back or I'm going to hold that back or whatever it would be, but when I give everything to Christ, then I can truly begin to live some of that abundant life and really understand and really get into the nitty-gritty of that abundant life. And so as I was thinking on the series, really, this, this is kind of a precursor for the next few weeks, but as I was thinking on that series, The Abundant Life, this thought just came to me. Am I really a slave of Christ? Does God really just own me? And not, yeah, we can go through the, the theological things and, you know, he, he died, he paid for that Christ and all those things, but I'm talking me. I have given everything. Here, Lord, here you go, take it. I am no longer my own. And I was thinking through that and I was kind of that thought going through my mind and I'm thinking, wow, that's more than just one week's worth of sermon. And so I did, I'm just going to do a, a, about three weeks worth of a sermon series on this thought of being a slave of Christ. And, and uh, as we get into it this morning, I'm just going to give a lot of introduction, I guess, to some regard. I'm going to introduce, and then next week I really hit on the more of that actual, the slave thought there. But what I, kind of how I wanted to start this whole series off with is, is almost going back to really as a Christian, the beginning. And not Genesis, but your Christian life. Becoming a, a believer, accepting the fact that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, and all of those things. Going back, almost I thought of preaching literally the Romans Road at one point. I was kind of going through and studying and thinking, man, let's go all the way back through this process. And so through the study and through my thoughts, and hopefully this morning it'll be a help to you, and you can make sense of what I'm, I'm going to pull out here, but as we start thinking about this thought, as we look into this idea of being a slave of Christ, there's a number of things that, that we can look to, and some people may even say, well, that's kind, of, uh, that's kind of bold, in your face, harsh kind of language to use, being a slave, and that's not a positive word. Well, it's really not. But the reality is, all throughout Scripture, in the New Testament, speaks of us as Christians being slave to Christ. 
And as we, I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about that here in the beginning, but if as we look at this passage of Scripture that we'll be in, we'll be in Romans chapter 6, but as we look at the different readings or the different Scriptures, oftentimes Paul has used this word, uh, being a slave of Christ. And, and as we look at that idea of Paul saying this over and over and over again throughout his epistles and throughout his letters, he is saying this in the middle of a time during that Greek and Roman period at this time of history, where slavery was very, very real. At that time, there was probably anywhere from the 10 to 12 million slaves that was in the region that Paul would have written most all of his writings. The people knew what the word slave was. And when he mentioned the word slave, it was... It was very real to them because basically in that day and age, you were either a free person or you were a slave. And we look at this and we look in our terms in society and we, we understand to some degree some of the slavery idea and the thought there. But, but this, was a, this was real to these people. And as, as I want to hit on this a little bit, but today our Christianity isn't about being a slave of Christ. Most of the Christianity, and I'll be, I'll be real honest, I didn't go through and listen to every one of my sermons that I've ever preached over the course of my time in ministry, but I probably am guilty of this just as much as anybody else is. But much of our Christianity is about freedom, is about wealth, is about prosperity, is about finding my fulfillment, is about finding the will that God has for me, it's about finding who I am in Christ. It's, it's all of these things that we, we kind of use as our lingo today. I'm trying to seek out the will of God for my life. I'm trying to find what God would have for me in my Christian life and all these things. As I was looking for this, as I was studying through this, and I started to really think and really get down to the nitty-gritty of it, here's what it is. I'm a slave of Christ. When you look in the terms of slavery, they had one goal and one goal only, to please their master and to please their owner. Guess what? It's not about my will. It's not about what I can do for Christ. It's not about my fulfillment in my Christian life. It's not about finding all of those things. Here is the reality of what our Christian life is. I am a slave of Christ, period. And when we stop and we start thinking about some of those things, yeah, it's good to have a, a purpose and it's good to be in the will of God and that's and all of those things. And I'm not going against all of that and some of those things in Scripture. But when we stop, I've read The Purpose Driven Life. Many of you maybe have read The Purpose Driven Life. We've read all these different books. You can read help book after help book after help book after help book all throughout. You can go to the Christian bookstore and find the help books. You can go to wherever you want to go and you can find whatever we want to find. But when it really, 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 when we stop and look at it and we boil down our Christian life, the reality is we're a slave of Christ. We're a slave of one of two things. We're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to righteousness or unrighteousness and righteousness. And when we stop and we look at the reality of a slave, the purpose of a slave was to do what he was commanded by his owner. To please the one who owned him. We often hear things of God loves us. He wants you to be all that you can be and all you want to be. He wants to fulfill all your desires, all your hopes, and all your dreams. And I believe to some regard that that is true, that God wants to do all those things. The only problem is, that's not what God came to do, was so that Aaron Flanagan could have all of his dreams fulfilled. His, jo- his job and his goal, or so to speak, was to come, to die on a cross, that I would give my life to him, and in giving my life to him, I would give everything to him. That I would be a slave, I would be property of God Almighty. And in that, I would live my life in every day, every second of every day, every hour of every day, that I would live my life to complete and to fulfill His goal. That I would please Him. And that's what the Christian life is all about. Is that I am slave to Jesus Christ. And so as I started thinking on this, and as I started reading this, I'm just going to be real. 
This is probably one of the most convicting, one of the most difficult things I've ever studied in my life because the reality is I don't live my life this way and most any of us don't either. Wait a second, you're the pastor. You don't live your life that way? I'm sorry, I'm a human being just like you're a human being and I'm going to fail just like you fail. And no, I don't live my life every single day, all day long, 100% a slave of Christ. And so as I'm studying this, as I'm reading this, I'm I'm pretty convicted, to be real honest. And I hope that that as we look through the, the verse and the passages this morning and as we go through these things... I hope that it becomes a, this isn't a, it's not supposed to be a, a thing of beating anybody up. It's really a thought to, to encourage us because when we do these things, this is what allows me to live the abundant life. It is my job, it's my interest to please and make Christ happy. As a slave, I have no life of my own. I'm not a citizen, I'm just simply property. I am his property. We even look at this and we'll say it over and over and over again and we talk about this. But we talk about in Christian circles and all of these things of talking about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I have a personal relationship and I can go to Him and we do and we're able to have a personal relationship. But here is the relationship. He's owner, master, Lord, I'm slave. We don't like that. Because if He's slave, then that means... I don't get to do what I want to do. That means somebody else is calling the shots for me. That means somebody else is calling the shots for you. We don't like that. I don't like it. You might. Maybe you're better than I am, but I don't like that. Slave or slaves in the Greek and Roman period in that time, they had no freedom. They had no rights. They had no ownership of anything. They had no legal recourse in court. If they, something was done wrong to them, they had no way to fight that. They had no citizenship. They couldn't do what they wanted to do or what they dreamed of doing. They had no choice of anything. They couldn't be a part of the military. They couldn't be a part of certain things that they would want to be a part of. They were totally dependent on the one who owned them. You might say, well... In that day and age, slavery was different than what we, we would typically talk about in slavery over the course of the last few hundred years, but there was also benefits to slavery. They were cared for. Typically in those days, they were treated kindly. They had compassionate owners. They were loved within the families. They had opportunities to be released at certain times. Throughout Scripture, if we go back to the Old Testament, there was times throughout Scripture there was laws and rules that the owners had to abide by in this whole process. But when it all boils down, free men didn't like the slave. They were scorned, and slaves desired and dreamed to be free. So at this, Paul, at this point, in this time in, in history, Paul was in the midst of all of this. He was in the midst of living in this slavery or this slave-driven society, so to speak. And Paul says that we are to be slaves of Christ. We can even look at it in this way. This period of time was very religious. They were very much into the different gods. They had Greek gods and they had sun gods and star gods and moon gods and they had tree gods and animal gods and river gods and every form of god that you could think of. They all had them. And all throughout Scripture, and all through, not throughout Scripture, but all throughout any of their religious writings and any of the things that they had ever done, there was never a mention of being slave of any of the other gods. They served many gods. They talked of many gods, but they were only mentioned as friends of God, not slaves of God. Why? Because it's repulsive in that day to be remembered or to be looked at as a slave. They didn't want that. No more than we oftentimes do today. And so it's my goal as we continue, as we get into the service this morning, and then even as we go the next couple weeks, 
to look at some of the thoughts of, of what this is. But really this morning, I want to I look in Romans chapter 6. And then we'll get a little bit deeper next week as we will get more into this idea of slave and being a slave of Christ. But, but as I stated earlier, we are slave of one of two things. We are either slave to righteousness or slave to unrighteousness. And it really boils down. We are, we are a slave of something. The question is, to what are we a slave to? And so I'm going to do this, and I don't do this every week, but I'm going to have you stand this morning. And I'm going to read Romans chapter 6 as we read the Word of God, if we would just stand out of that. But in Romans chapter 6, if you have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen as well if you don't. But in Romans chapter 6, in verse number 1 and through verse number 14, it says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that ye or that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in likeness of His death, we shall be also in likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That word serve there would be slave, that we should not be a slave of sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he dieth or died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Father, I come to you this morning, and Lord, I ask, Father, I ask that you would speak through your word this morning. Lord, I pray that the words would be clear that are mentioned, that are spoken, and Father, most importantly, that you would be the voice. Lord, I ask that you be with us this morning. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. And you may be seated again. Thank you for standing with me and reading God's word. But as we get into this in Romans chapter 6, I'm going to kind of go through this passage of Scripture really briefly. And then next week, I'm going to finish out Romans chapter 6. On the back end of this, it speaks a lot more on being uh, more in in that slave uh, talk there. But as we look at Romans chapter 6, and we look right there at the beginning, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And I just, I kind of gave a couple little things here throughout the, the points here, but Christ's victory gives us no excuse to continue in sin. We have no reason or no excuse to continue in sin. Paul writes this thought, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And this is a passage of scripture most of us have read and you may have heard about or you may have studied it on your own, but when Paul writes this, should we... Should we just be able to go freely do what we want? God died for our sins and and grace happens because of sin. And Paul says right there at the beginning in verse number 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so as we look at this, as we kind of look at this whole thought here, a great thought is that we were once dead in sin and now we are dead to sin. We were once dead in sin, now we are dead to sin, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. This thought in this passage is far from the idea of oftentimes what we hear in that whole idea of fireproof insurance, so to speak, of, well, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, now I can go do whatever I want to do, and I'm good to go. I'm still going to heaven. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. In this passage of Scripture, it says... Really the complete opposite. Should we continue to sin 
so that grace would more abound? Paul says, God forbid. He doesn't only say, God forbid, but he says, how in the world can you do that when you are dead to sin? You've accepted Christ as your Savior, and as we continue to go through this, we'll see this more, but when you've accepted Christ as your Savior, Christ died for your sins. You died with that. Your sin nature died. You died. If you're dead to something, you're dead. I'll never forget being a child, going to one of my friend's houses who lived on a farm. It was cold. We went into the barn, and all of a sudden, we look over, and there's just this flat piece of fur. And we walk closer. Sure enough, it was a cat. Praise God. But there was a cat. Do you know, no matter what I could have done to that dead animal, I would have never gotten a response because it was dead. That's kind of the idea of being dead to sin. When Paul writes this whole idea of, God forbid, how shall we? How shall we continue in sin? We've been dead to sin. When we look at this idea, we look at this thought of being dead to sin, that gives us victory, that gives us hope, that gives us joy, that gives us something, because we don't, we're no longer slave to that sin. In verse number 2, is what I, I've read a couple of times, For God forbid, for how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? As I stated, when we're dead, there's nothing that I can do to, to get a response. I could have kicked that cat. I could have thrown that cat. I could have done anything I wanted to that cat or whatever else you want to put in that spot. You're not going to get a response out of that. And that same thought and that same idea here is that when we died in Christ, or when Christ died on that cross, we died with Christ, we are dead to sin. We no longer have to be in that moment. We no longer have to live that life. We no longer have to be chained. We don't have to be a slave of that sin any longer because we're dead to it. And as we continue to read, it says even a little bit further, Know ye not that so many... Of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, the glory or by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We have victory. We have been given a newness of life. Many of you in this room would share your testimony, and your testimony would be completely different than my testimony. I was fortunate enough to have been raised in a Christian home and saved at a young age. Some of you were not. Your testimony may have been of, of drunkenness, of, of alcoholism, of, of drugs, of, of, of abuse, of a number of different things. And when you share your testimony, you can share your testimony, and you can stand up and say, there was a newness of life when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Because you died to that old nature. And you were given a newness of life. You were given that victory. We were all given to it, or given that victory. But as I was stating, some of us, our testimony is different. It's visible in some where it's not as visible in others. My life did not radically change at six or seven years old when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I did not go from being drug addict, alcoholic to all of a sudden stopping. No, my life, I, I was fortunate enough. There was a time I used to think, man, I wish I had a really cool testimony like some of those people. I, there was, I used to think that. I can't reach as many people because my testimony is not nearly what their testimony is. Why? Because the emotional drawl of a, an incredible testimony of, of just debauchery and a, a horrible life. But there's a lot of things I can praise God about and I can stand in front of a group of people about and know that that was never part of my life because God saved me from that. God kept me out of that. Regardless of it, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I died with Him. I was raised with Him. And I was given a newness of life. 
And as we look at this passage of Scripture here, and we're, we're going to look at a couple different words real quickly, but the word baptized isn't what we normally talk about of being uh, immersed in the water. This, this particular area is to be dipped as a piece of iron would be dipped to temper it. The word as it was used here means the introduction or placing of a person or thing into a new environment or into union with someone else so as to alter its condition or relationship. This is God's introducing us into a vital union with Jesus Christ, into that slave relationship. So when you read that passage of Scripture, when it says, Know ye not that so many of, you, of us were baptized into Jesus Christ. We were baptized. We were, we were given a new environment. We were given a new place. We were, we were put in a new condition, a new relationship in our life that we didn't have before that. We have been united, it says there, it speaks of being planted. And we've talked about this uh, a number of series back, a number of months back of, of, of the tree, of being a part of the vine and of the branch. And, and this word planted is speaking of really just being grafted in. We were united in with Him. Paul is letting us know that Christ's death was our death, His burial, our burial, His resurrection, our resurrection. He not only died for me, but He died as me. And as we look at this thought of newness of life, as we look at this thought of victory, we can look through this passage of Scripture and we can read that and we can know that when I was baptized into Jesus Christ, we were baptized into His death. We were, He died as me. He died in that. I died with Him. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also were raised up from the dead. Man, when you accepted Jesus Christ, when I accepted Jesus Christ, even as a child, you may have been as an adult, whatever the lifestyle may have been prior to, when I accepted, I died with Him, I was buried with Him, and I rose again with Him, giving me a newness of life, giving me victory, giving me something that I never had the opportunity to have, taking me from the bondage, the slavery of what sin has over our lives. I hope that's encouraging to you. As we continue in verses 6 and 7, looking here, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. God broke a couple things. One of those things was God broke a stronghold of sin in our lives. He broke that old nature. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 is another passage that speaks very similar, similarly to what we're looking at here in Ephesians 4, 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. If we were to look... Um, just a couple books over in Colossians chapter number 3, it would be again something very similar. In, in Colossians 3 and verse 9, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. That old man is able to be put off. That new man is able to become new because of that sin, that, the stronghold that was broken. Positionally, the old man is crucified and the believer is exhorted. And it says that we would be reckoned into that. There's so many different things here, and we could spend weeks probably just in these first few verses, but reckoning to be so by putting off the old man and putting on the new man. The old man is dead. The man that we used to be, before our conversion, no man can crucify himself in Christ. When we look at that, we died with Christ we are able to experience the deliverance because of what God broke and that He broke that stronghold of sin. He also broke that strangle hold on life. When we look at sin, when I look at sin, when I, I watch the news or whatever it would be and know people and different things, many people are just basically held captive around their neck, strangled by sin. We're stuck. We can't go anywhere. I don't feel like I can ever let go of this thing and I, I can't continue to walk forward. I can't continue to do anything. Everywhere I go, it's just a stranglehold around my neck. 
Paul says, or the Lord says in Romans, that no, we, we died with Christ. We rose with Christ. We have a newness of life. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to live in bondage to sin. We don't have to live enslaved to sin. We don't have to do that because God did all that for us. He paid that debt for us. He did that for us. There's no need to live that way. He broke that stranglehold of sin on our lives. And we look at that passage of Scripture there in verses 6 and 7, that knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The body of sin, we should not serve sin. He is dead, is free, and our body is freed from sin. The body of sin is this, is defined as organic instrument for carrying out sin's orders. We should regard our bodies as dead so far as being an instrument through which sin can work is concerned. Again, obviously, now we would look at this. When I accepted Christ as my Savior, I physically did not die. Neither did you. Unless you are superhuman and you are back to life somehow. But we didn't do that. How do we carry out sin? Our, our, Our physical members carry out sin. And it says our body, that, that physical body is, is dead to sin. And we, when we look at that and we think through this and we really just kind of look at that idea, the organic instrument for carrying out sin's orders is the body of sin. Here, maybe this, I'm going to read a couple quick illustrations here before we go to this next point. But a certain man was accustomed to rising at 6 o'clock to watch a train each morning at 7. His wife usually saw him off to work. But one night the little one, um, but one night the little ones had been particularly restless, and his wife was just settling down to deep sleep when the alarm clock went off. Anybody been there? I have. Oh dear, she groaned. Is that six o'clock? When her husband told her it was, she said it doesn't feel like six o'clock. Here's the point. It didn't feel like 6 o'clock, but the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, its orbit, and on the whole machinery of heavens and everything else declared that it was 6 o'clock. But it didn't, it didn't feel like 6 o'clock. It is the same with the great biblical truth that the believer is dead with Christ. He may not feel very dead, but that is besides the point. God says that He is, and the whole machinery of redemption declares it to be a fact. Here's another thought on the same here, the same topic. There's two Irishmen, Pat and Mike, found a most unusual turtle. The animal's head had been completely severed from its body, but the turtle was still running around as though nothing had happened. Pat maintained that it was dead, but Mike de- denied it stoutly, and the argument waxed louder and louder until presently uh, O'Brien came along. They decided that O'Brien should arbitrate the matter and that his verdict would be final. O'Brien took one look at his remarkable or at this remarkable turtle and said, "It's dead, but I don't but it don't believe it. It's dead, but it don't believe it." That is exactly the problem with many Christians. They are dead, but they do not believe it. And you go, "Those are silly illustrations." Yeah, they are. I've woke up many, many times and gone, it's really not time to wake up. It cannot be 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, or whatever time that it might be. And I go, there's no way that it's 6 o'clock in the morning, and absolutely it is 6 o'clock in the morning. The sun's coming up, everything tells me that it's 6 o'clock in the morning. I can try to say all that I want that it's not 6 o'clock in the morning, but the fact of the matter, it is. Just like those other guys could have said, that turtle, it has no head, it's just running around in circles, whatever it be. One would say it was dead, one would say it was alive. No, it's dead. It just doesn't believe it's dead. Many times our Christian lives are just like that. I know that I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I know that I've accepted Him as my Savior. I believe with all my heart that I'm dying and going to heaven when that time comes. But I don't believe that I'm dead. I'm just not yet. I don't believe it. I'm not dead to sin. And so I allow those things to run and run and run in my life. And just as silly as those illustrations are, just as silly as that, that might be, oftentimes we might be dead, but we just don't believe it 
And so we allow little things to creep in and creep in and creep in, and they just keep a hold because we've not died to that sin nature that we spoke about in verse number 2. The results of death with Christ, verses 8 and 9, as we look at this. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. If we look at this, if we identify ourselves with Him, then we are identified with Him in His resurrection. This, to me, again, it should be exciting to you. I hope that it is. But even as we look there at the beginning... If I'm dead to sin, I no longer live in it. And as we continue to go forward in in this passage, we talked about the newness of life. When we died, when Christ died and we died and we accepted Him as our Savior, we died with Him, we rose with Him, and we were given newness of life. This same idea, when I identify myself with Him, I am identifying myself with the resurrection of Christ. The same resurrection we read about in verse number 4. It refers to the coming resurrection at the trump, but this also has an immediate application as well for us today. We are able to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is great deal, which is a great deal and a great amount of power. When Christ died and rose again, the Holy Spirit, the power of that, was what allowed him to rise from the dead. It is that same Holy Spirit that lives in us that gives us the power to live the life that we're able to live. It is that same Holy Spirit that allows us to live an abundant life. It is that same Holy Spirit that allows us to live and be dead to sin. And we don't have to live in sin any longer. And we don't have to be enslaved to sin any longer. Because it's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that we have that lives inside of us. We don't have to live a discouraged life. I don't have to live worried. I don't have to live enslaved to sin. Can you turn the air conditioning off? I'm seeing half of our people bundle up here. If there's air conditioning on, just turn it off. But um, hopefully that'll help those of you that are like doing this and grabbing your husband's jacket. But there's a significance to the resurrection However, there's also a magnificence to the resurrection. Christ being raised from the dead died no more. Death has no more dominion over him. I hope when you read those passages of Scripture, that's something that encourages you. I've stated this in the past. We, we, we did this series in, at Christmas time, but we should live our lives as this. Christ is no longer a baby that lives in a manger. He isn't just a baby that's in the arms of a virgin mother, Mary. He isn't a cry. He isn't the Christ that is on the cross, or He isn't the Christ that is in the tomb. He is alive from the dead, and the death has no more dominion over Him. He is beyond the power of death. But here's what's, here's what's encouraging. It's that same thing that is with you and with me, just as That is there. Christ is no longer in the cross. He's alive from the dead. Death doesn't have dominion over him. He is beyond the power of death. It's the same thing. Sin has no more dominion over you. Sin no no more has dominion over me. He died unto sin once. But in that he liveth. And he liveth unto God in verse number 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. If God's word is true in what we just read in the previous verses said that I died with him, that I, I was buried with him, and that I rose again with him, then as I look at verse number 10, that's very personal to me and to you that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth and he liveth unto God. You could put you in that. I died, I died unto sin once, but in that I liveth and I liveth unto God. If that is what God's word says, is that I died with him, then I also live unto him. And I don't have to be a slave to sin, and I don't have to be a slave to all these things. And the idea of this whole sermon this morning, I know I'm not talking about slavery and how it affects us, but when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we died to sin, and in that we have hope, and we have a lot of different things. However, we don't often live that way. 
Instead, we live discouraged. We worry. We become fearful. We become wondering of all of the different things of why this and why that. And we ask all these different questions. When I look at verse 10, he liveth unto God. I also liveth unto God. And if that's the case, then verse number nine would be true. And that death doesn't have dominion over me. Sin doesn't have dominion over me. And that, I hope, is encouraging. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, in verse 11, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is one thing to know, verse 9, it is something else to, as it says there, it says to, to reckon also. That word reckon, I don't know what you have. Many of you have different things in your, in your Bible. Maybe you have a study Bible or maybe you have a, a different version. But in verse number 11, likewise reckon, or literally it's, it's, a, it's, it's an accounting term. There's a couple CPAs in here. You, you might get excited right now. But it's an accounting term. To reckon is to count, to compute. This is something that hopefully you reckon your bank accounts and you go home and you look at it and when before you write that big check, you go, oh, I have this much money in my account. It comes. It, it's good. And if it doesn't, you call your bank or you deal with what you have to do. You put the money in there and then you go back. You reckon. You say, okay, this check is going to match what I have in here. We're good to go. That's basically all that that says. And as we look at that idea of reckoning, it's the same thing. Then I reckon my account with what I had. Otherwise, I look at the account as if I'm in the negative. At Calvary, God did just that. He made provision for the sinner. He dealt fully and forever with all aspects of the question of sin. We then have to reckon this to be so. We have to take into account in the moment of temptation. We, the believer, are to take into account or to calculate all the facts as to his identification with Christ and his separation from sin and then live accordingly. Are you living accordingly? Do I live accordingly? When I look at the idea of being a slave of Christ and when I look at this idea and when I look at all of these different things and I, I can, you can look at it a couple different ways. Really, I guess you could look at this and become discouraged. Or you can look at this and think, man, God, God died for this. God did this, and I don't have to do this. Every day, I don't have to die in this manner. Yes, God's Word says to die daily and give ourselves to Christ every day. And that's not really what I'm speaking of. But, but I, don't have to, I don't have to look and be beat up over those things. I don't have to be beat up over that sin. I don't have to do those things. Why? Because God did that. And he gave that to you. He gave you that hope. He gave you all those things. And lastly, as we close out this morning, sin is defeated. In verse number 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members of as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of, unrighteous, of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. There's, a phys- there's three different points here that I'm going to hit, and then we're going to be done. There's a physical principle. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Sin expresses itself through the organs of the body, as we talked about earlier. Through this channel reigns both the natural and the carnal. For a believer, our body is set free from the reign of sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 25 and 27, if those are on the screen there, but in 1 Corinthians 9, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. And then lastly, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. When we look at this, let not sin reign in your mortal body. That last, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. I'm giving that to Christ. Look at it like this. I don't know how many of you like sports. I'm an athlete. 
I love, well, I don't know if I'm an athlete anymore, but I used to be. I played softball this past week. I tell you, I don't feel like an athlete at all. An athlete will prepare his body for the fight or for the race or for the game or for whatever it would be. They will get themselves in whatever shape that they have to do. That's the gym, that's running, that's all of the things that take place. Do we do that spiritually to have that victory over sin? Do I subject my body and bring it into subjection to Jesus Christ? The second point here is, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. In this whole passage that we've read, there's really kind of three things. There's the know, there's reckon, and then there's the to yield. We see here that we are not to yield to sin. Not to permit our eyes to look lustfully, our ears to listen to the gossip or the things that we ought not to hear. Our tongues to uh, be, be a part of, of vile or untruth or, or gossip or slander or those things. There has to be an act of the will as moral agents. We are responsible for our bodily members and we must yield our members to Him. And lastly, there's a spiritual principle here. It isn't enough just to yield our members I don't know how many times I've done this in my life, but I've kind of came to a place and I've said, you know what, I'm never going to do that again. And I'll put things in my, in my life and I'll put boundaries in my life and I'll set things up and I'll do things and I just basically say I'm not going to do it. I stop it morally, so to speak, but I never deal with it spiritually so the next time that it comes up, the next time that it, it is there, I have not spiritually set myself to a place that I will not do it. So when it's there, I give in. Many of us have done that. I don't know how many times we all, we could go back, let's just, we'll go back for fun. We'll go back to our childhood going to church camp. What do we do when we get back to church camp? You got to get rid of all your CDs and all your cassette tapes or all your, whatever you had, records. You got to burn them. We're no longer listening to that mess anymore. And we go home and we, Mom, I've gotten, I'm going to, here's my box of all my stuff. And within a month, the radio's back on the same station. Why? Because we morally kind of told ourselves we're not going to do that. But we spiritually didn't put ourselves in any kind of position that we were going to set that spiritually. And that's kind of, that's what we're looking at here. The idea spiritually is that Many times I have said to myself, I'm done with it, I'm not going to do it. Victory doesn't rest ultimately upon our moral resolve, but upon our spiritual principle. Victory does not rest ultimately upon our moral resolve, but upon a spiritual principle. Three very quick things and we're done. Give in to God's will. Yield yourselves, yield ourselves unto God. Only as we give in to God can we have and do we have victory. Secondly, get a hold of God's word. Either sin will have dominion and roll over you, or we will hold a, grab a hold of God's word, and we will be able to have that confidence, that strength, that knowledge, that understanding that God has died for that. So we got to give in to God's will. We got to yield ourselves into that. Then we got to get a hold of God's word, and then we got to go in God's way. Our continued life in Christ doesn't depend on us, but upon the abundant supply of God's grace, sufficient for every need. You've got to be in God's way. You've got to go God's way. In, that, in verse 14 it says, Sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but you are under grace. And as we wrap up this morning, just... I don't know what specific thought, maybe there wasn't a specific thought this morning that just jumped out at you, but when we look at sin, when we look at the idea of, as we'll get into more personally, being a slave of Christ, when we look at these ideas, and though they're not always popular to think of, and it's not always, uh, I guess, popular preaching or whatever you want to call that, but we died with that. When Christ died, He died I died with that as a Christian, as a believer. I don't have to be slave to those things anymore. I don't have to do those things. That should be encouraging that I have a newness of life. 
that I have the, the things that we talked about. All of this, when I, when I grab this, it makes saying that I'm a slave of Christ a little bit easier. And then as we talk in the next few weeks, the abundant life now comes to life. Why? Because when I can subject myself to Christ, I'm a slave of Christ. Now when I look at the abundant life, the abundant life is not about me. The life that we live in Christ is not about me. It's not about you. I'm sorry if that burst your bubble this morning, but if you live your life thinking that it's about you, it's not. Oasis Baptist Church, though I'm the pastor of this place, is not about Aaron Flanagan. If you are here for Aaron Flanagan, I've said this before, you're here for the wrong reasons. If you are here expecting that my Christian life will will make you be a good Christian, you're wrong. If you're here, I'm here to help you, to encourage you, to that when you go home, you're going to dive into the Word of God, you're going to grow, and you're going to do that on your own with my encouragement and with our church's encouragement. But if it's based on me, you're wrong. It won't work. If it's based on your husband and your wife, it won't work. And when we look at all these things and we go, if I submit myself to him, if I yield to him, if I give it to him, man, I'm going to have to be a slave? Yeah, that's okay. I don't know if there's a better slave owner than the Lord. Would you want anybody else to own you than Christ? He's going to care. He's going to comfort. He's going to give. He's going to provide. He's going to have, you have everything that you need. But it's not until we get that that we can go in the next couple weeks where we'll go, which is to live that abundant life. And I don't know that there's any greater life to live than an abundant life in Him.